Daniel 2, verses 46 through 49. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this reading of your holy and sacred word. And we look to you, Father, that you would instruct us and teach us uh, this morning. Father, that, Lord, uh, we may uh, be advanced in our sanctification this morning, that we may find ourselves, oh, Father, being carried by the Holy Spirit, that, uh, Father, we would be perfected from one degree of faith to another, oh, Lord. So, Father, we do pray that you would meet us Meet us here, O Father, and teach us, O Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. To see the full force of verses 46 through 49, uh, we really need to go back and review some material that we looked at uh, earlier, namely the context in which the book of Daniel is given. And for that, I invite you to turn the page uh, back to Daniel uh, chapter 1 and verse 1. Uh, this is the fourth sermon now in this new series, so it's been just a little while since we looked at these verses. It's been a few weeks, but in verse 1 we're told that in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Verse 2, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans." Now, what's going on here? Well, Nebuchadnezzar has laid siege to, the, to uh, God's city, right? He has uh, laid siege to God's people. He has laid siege to God's children. And uh, he has gone into the temple and he's plundered it. And uh, you'll recall that I commented on this a few weeks ago that there's religious significance to what Nebuchadnezzar is doing and going into that temple and taking those vessels. We're told that he grabs those vessels out of God's uh, temple and he carries them back and takes them to where? He takes them into the temple of his own gods. And what is the significance of this? What is the religious significance of this? It's this. My God or our gods are more powerful than your God. And you see, we just proved it because we just waltzed in here and sacked your city. And we have laid siege to your people. And we've taken your children. And we've went into the temple of your God and helped ourselves to the goodies we found there. And we took them back to our gods that are more powerful. 
This was commonly done by conquering nations in ancient times. So what's happened? Well, things are looking really bad here, aren't they? Uh, imagine if we can, uh, it's pretty difficult for us, but imagine living in that period of time, uh, living through uh, that particular occurrence. Things are looking really bad, uh, but things are not always the way they appear. And that leads me to the first point that I want to make this morning, and this really is a, an overarching point, not only for our text, but really for the whole text of Daniel, uh, namely that though it often appears that God is losing to all of the evil forces that are taking place, He is certainly in control and accomplishing His purposes. And we can take comfort in knowing that His purposes are good and holy. Nebuchadnezzar, yes, he has seized the Jerusalem, the city of God. He seized the people of God. He has seized the youth of God. He's carried off the goodies of God to his other temple. But uh, since then, God has struck Nebuchadnezzar with a dream, hasn't he? He's had an awful dream, a very frightening dream. And it has rattled him to such a degree that he has asked his wise men uh, to uh, carry out a task that he knows they can't carry out. He's acting completely irrational and calling his wise men uh, to, uh, to his uh, quarters, into his situation room, if you will, and saying, listen, I had a dream, and I want you guys to tell me what the dream was. Now, what kind of rational purpose person would ask such a thing of somebody? Who in the world can tell somebody what their dream is? He's acting completely irrationally. He's rattled. Um, he's acting capriciously. And of course, the wise men fail in this task. They, that's impossible for them to tell uh, Nebuchadnezzar what his dream is. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar has promised them, listen, you either, you either tell me the dream or I'm going to tear you limb from limb. Now, what would that amount to? They would amount to him taking all of his advisors and destroying them. You know, if he carried that out, he would be left with no advisors. You know, acting completely irrational. And of course, as he's about to make good on his promise, which there's no doubt he would have made good on, God reveals to Daniel the mystery and also reveals the interpretation. And Daniel, we saw in, verse, in chapter 2, verses 20, Daniel first praises God for the revelation of this mystery and for its interpretation. And then he goes and takes the mystery to the king. And that brings us to verse 47. And in verse 47, we have a complete reversal here, don't we? A complete reversal. Notice, listen to, listen to what Nebuchadnezzar says to Daniel in verse 47. He says, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you've been able to reveal the mystery. He knows full well that human beings can't do this. You think of how irrational he was acting. But what is he saying? Your God is God of gods. Who? You mean the God whose temple you just raided? The God whose city you just sacked? The people you just carried off into exile? Their God is God of gods? You see the absolute reversal that's taking place here? It's, it's astonishing. And, uh, you know, I think we ought to stop right here and, and just look at a couple of points that are really subsidiary to the major point here, but I think it's healthy for us to, to look at a couple of things here. If you might pull along the road and just stop here for a minute. Notice there's a profession of faith being 
made here. I mean, truly, your God is God of gods. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. At this point, we might be tempted to say, hey, let's baptize him. <laughs> yeah. It's a profession of faith. Nebuchadnezzar is saved. Let's baptize that boy. But some of you are chuckling because you've read Daniel and you, you, you realize chapter 3. Chapter 3 comes right after this, right? As Nebuchadnezzar is making this profession, he's bowing low before God, isn't he? His knees are bent, but has his heart been changed? Well, chapter 3 is going to make it abundantly clear that uh, not so fast. Uh, not so fast. And there's really a lesson here. That's why I wanted to stop. You know, we, we, we have to be careful in our excitement. When folks make a profession of faith, we have to be very careful that we're just not too quick to assure them of salvation. Because uh, sometimes a lot of damage can be done to a person if they haven't really... At the end of the day, we don't know another person's heart, do we? But if we assure them of salvation too quickly, we can actually harm them uh, because then they'll stop seeking salvation when they've fallen short of arriving there. They, having believed they have arrived, um, they stop. And there's another damage. We can actually damage the church this way too. And a lot of damage has been done to the church in America this way because folks are now brought into the church uh, as true believers when in reality uh, they may have only experienced some enlightenment. They haven't become true believers. And someone like Nebuchadnezzar here who's obviously got a very, very high degree of skill and management a high degree. If Nebuchadnezzar would have been baptized, he would have been in leadership in the church right away. And what happens? Now you have unbelievers leading and governing the church. And I don't need to tell you that that's going on en masse all over our land. You know, as I was studying for ministry, I did a lot of pulpit supply work. And I would never mention any of the names of the places that Tammy and I have been. And some of the things that we have seen through that period of time. I'm so thankful for it. But, and I also do not know the hearts of some of the individuals we encountered through that period of time, but I have a sneaking suspicion that many of the churches that we have served are being led by, at least to some degree, uh, by leadership that um, perhaps are not true believers. And what do you have there? Great damage done to the church. Um, the old preachers of, of yesteryear were a little bit slower and they said, so let's just wait. We've got a profession of faith here. Let's look for some fruit. Let's just watch this for a little while. Let's continue to come alongside. Let's continue. Let's just take it easy. But they weren't so excited to get numbers, you know. They weren't so excited about numbers, you know. We want all these numbers. We want all these people, you know. We want these big crowds. They weren't as excited about that then as we are now. So we live in a lot. There's a lot of danger, especially, and I, I want to share that with, with us as we're planting Tri-State Community Church. You know, we, need, we just have to be very careful. We just have to be very, very careful. Now, back to our text. Um, you know you know what? If you mind, let, let, let's, let's, let's look at this from one more angle here, too. One more angle. It, it, have you ever talked with somebody who said, you know, it was probably a lot easier to believe back in Bible times because miracles were happening all over the place. And, you know, yeah, some of you are already smiling. You know where I'm going. And if I would have been alive in biblical times seeing these miracles happening all over the place, then you know, I'd have strong faith too. Have you ever heard that? Or maybe even thought that to yourself? 
Well, Nebuchadnezzar has just seen a miracle. He's claiming, he's, he's attributing this to God. And Daniel is so faithfully, he has been so humbly and so faithfully has made sure that, that Nebuchadnezzar understood that the revelation of this mystery came from God and not from Daniel. He made that really clear, didn't he? We saw that last week. So Nebuchadnezzar clearly has seen a supernatural event take place. Has his heart changed? Not as of yet. And we might think along these lines of the ministry of Jesus. All of the miracles that Jesus performed. And big crowds came and followed him. And they witnessed those miracles. But in the end, many of those same folks yelled, crucify him, crucify him. And we might think of the story, you know, it's been a long time, but way back when we were in Matthew chapter 8, you remember the story at Gadara where uh, Gadara might not mean nothing to you, but you remember the pigs? You remember the pigs, don't we? Jesus exercised the legion of demons out of the demoniac, and they went into the pigs, and the pigs stormed down off the bank and into the sea. Miraculous. What an exercise of authority. Not just casting out a single demon, but a legion of demons. They shuddered at him. And the townspeople heard about it, and they come out. And they said, oh, Jesus, man, we've been looking for you forever, you know. Come on in, man. We want to show you around the town. Is that what they said? They begged him to leave. They begged him to leave. And aside from all of this, if someone says to you, hey, you know, miracles are happening all the time in the Bible, so no, they weren't. If miracles were to happen all the time, they would be less miraculous, wouldn't they? I mean, a miracle by definition is something that's like, this can't be explained any other way because this never happens. Miracles aren't happening. When we read our Bibles, it's easy to lose track of time. And miracles aren't happening all the time. So Nebuchadnezzar has very clearly seen a miracle here. His heart hasn't changed. Uh, but here in verse 47, if you look back at it again with me, here the most powerful man on the planet at this point in time is bowing his knees. You know, his knees are bowed. And uh, we could make application of this. They're bowed, but they're not bowed in loving submission and trust. You know, the, the text, the, the Bible is very clear that every knee is going to bow. Uh, but not every knee is going to bow in loving and humble submission and trust. We could make application to ourselves right here this morning. I mean, okay, we're here this morning. All of you who've come into, the, come into this, this assembly this morning, in, in a sense, we're all bowing our knees but being here. Aren't we? But the question is, are our knees bowed in loving, humble submission to Christ? In other words, is Christ the driving principle of our lives? And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about perfection here. There isn't a person in the room who's going to walk perfectly with Christ. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is there's this principle in your life now where you are laboring to govern your life uh, after the Lordship of Christ. It's not a question of whether we're doing it perfectly or not. Get to cast that aside. We're not. But is that principle in our lives? Are we really bowing to Him in loving and humble submission? That is what counts at the end of the day. That's what counts. So everything here appears to be wrong. 
But God here shows us that things are not always what they appear to be. God is in total control, and He is purposely putting His people right where He wants His people. Psalm 138 teaches us that God has exalted above all things His name and His word. And He has placed Daniel exactly where He wants him. Everything is going exactly as planned. And uh, this is how we should view everything that's happening. Not just this event, but everything that happens. A lot of times we look around and we think, oh, God couldn't hardly be in control of what's happening. And yes, He is. We don't know the particulars. We don't know the particulars. But God is giving us the big picture, isn't He? This is how we're to understand it. God is not giving us all of the particulars. It would be wrong for us to try to interpret the times and say, this is exactly what God's doing. He's doing this, and He's doing this, and He's doing that. We don't know those particulars. But what we can say is we know the big picture. Regardless of how it looks, God is accomplishing His plans. He's accomplishing His purposes. And they are holy, and they are good. And they will be for the benefit of His people and for His glory. Amen? This much we know. Now, the second point that I want to make is though we may undergo great circumstances of humiliation, nevertheless, in the proper time, God will exalt His people. In other words, we may go through some really hard times and we may think that God's not even with us anymore. But in His time, He will exalt His people. Um, in the first few verses of chapter 1, which we just read, Daniel and his three friends are being carried off from the home that they love, from the place that they love, and they're being carried into exile. They're captives. That's hardly an exalted position, isn't it? I mean, imagine an army coming in through here, into Chester, and grabbing us and taking us off somewhere who knows where. That's hardly a glorious position, isn't it? How does Daniel and his friends react to this? We've already commented on that. They, 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 their attitude is one of humble submission. Why? Why aren't they rebelling? Why aren't they fighting? Well, they have a word from God. You remember Jeremiah 29. Uh, I'll just read a couple of verses. It may, strike, it may uh, uh, help you to recall if you heard the, the message where we shared these words. Uh, Jeremiah 29, verses 4 uh, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent. You see, God's working in this. He's sending Daniel and his three friends off to Babylon, who I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is how Daniel was able to understand what was going on. He had a word from God. You remember we commented on that. Uh, Daniel realized Nebuchadnezzar had success because God gave it to him. That's why in verse 2 we're told, and God gave Jehoiakim into, Je into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. Verse 5, here's the word of the Lord through Jeremiah, which Daniel and his friends had. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, have sons, daughters, take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. And listen to verse 7, but seek the welfare of the city. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now, a number of things become really clear to us from here. 
Through Nebuchadnezzar's dream, which we looked at last week, we learned the temporary nature of kings and kingdoms. The head of gold's Babylon, uh, the, the uh, arms and chest of silver, is Medo-Persia, which is the, tra the, the historical, the, 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 uh, the traditional understanding of that text. Uh, the uh, belly and thighs of bronze is Greece, and the legs and feet, partly of iron, partly of clay, is Rome. Uh, here we see these, these kingdoms, these worldwide kingdoms. They rise, then they fall, right? They rise, and then they fall. They rise, and they fall. And last week, uh, I shared with you a, uh, a position that I got from Ian Duguid that really, we're to understand this, is really is a philosophy of history that's teaching us, listen, all of these kings, all of these kingdoms, they're going to rise, they're going to fall. They're going to rise, they're going to fall. All of these earthly kingdoms are rising and they're falling in, com in, com in contrast, if you will, to the kingdom of God, which is the stone not cut by human hands, which comes and overcomes all of these kingdoms. So we, can, we could hear this and we could easily come from this with the conclusion of why bother with all of these kingdoms? They're rising, they're falling, they're rising and falling. In fact, why, as some are fond of saying, why polish the brass on a sinking ship? doesn't make sense. Why do that? Well, because God tells us to. That's why. Polish the breasts on the sinking ship. Pray for the city. Pray for its welfare. For as it prospers, so shall we. But secondly, and as we go through Daniel, we're going to see this over and over again. Daniel, Daniel and his three friends, they, they got a word from God and they're humbly submitting to that word of God and they really do become a blessing to the Gentile nations in which they've been called, don't they? Over and over again, we're going to see Daniel is really a blessing to those people who are around him. And in being such a blessing to those people that are around him and really praying for their welfare, praying for their, uh, for their better good, uh, he then begins to reflect the real nature of God. Right? But the overarching, uh, the overarching uh, point here is, uh, is this. Um, they humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. And in humbling themselves under the mighty hand of God, God in the proper time exalts them. Look at verse 46. You know, this is in response to Daniel giving uh, the dream and its interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar falls on his face and pays homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered to him. You see a reversal here. Who's Daniel? Oh, he's one of those kids that you, uh, that you carried away in chains out of, uh, out of Jerusalem. Now where is he? Uh, he's in the Situation Room, and at last I saw Nebuchadnezzar's on his face before him, praising him. <laughs> you see how astonishing this is? Imagine being carried off to China somewhere and then in chains. And then, you know, going from these chains to being in the, uh, in the capital in front of the emperor, down on your face, uh, him down on his face rather before you. This is what's happening here. And look at verse 48. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And I, I think that... Uh, 
1 Peter 5, 6 provides us with a wonderful commentary on this passage, and that's why I chose it for our Scripture memory verse. You know, think of our Scripture memory verse. You know, look in your bulletin. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Daniel and his three friends are really under a heavy hand of God there, aren't they? But they humble themselves. They've got a word from God. The governing principle in their lives is to follow God. And they do that. And at the proper time, we see Daniel, he goes from being a captive to being captain. It's quite amazing. And, you know, we could add to these considerations the story of Joseph. Some of you might even be thinking about Joseph. You know, if you've read Genesis, you know, there's this character named Joseph and his brothers are jealous of him and they sell him into slavery and, and then he gets carried off to Egypt and then uh, this adulterous woman accuses him of some things he never did and that ends, he ends up in prison. That's, that, that's under the heavy hand of God. We make it very clear God's involved in all of that. It's without sin. But he's involved in it all. Why? He wants to get... He wants to get his person in the place where he wants him to be. From that prison, Joseph is exalted to prime minister of Egypt, isn't he? I see in many ways Joseph's life and Daniel's life are parallels of one another. Without the prison, without the interpretation of, of Pharaoh's dream, he would never have been exalted to prime minister. Same with Daniel. Without the interpretation of the dream, he would have never been uh, exalted to prime minister of Babylon. And we should add to these considerations the work of Christ. And that's where we got our, our scripture reading this morning, our call to worship. And if you, I, I asked to kind of save the place in Philippians 2, if you'll look there with me. Philippians 2, just for a moment. Don't lose your place in, in Daniel. But if you look at Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11, the Apostle Paul, he says in verse 1, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy? Uh, verse 2, complete my joy. Being of the same mind, have the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Verse 3, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's the, in terms of Jesus' human nature, there's the heavy hand of God upon him, isn't it? He knows his assignment. He lovingly submits and humbles himself to that, that assignment. Verse 9, Therefore God has what? Highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. See this principle again, don't we? We see it perfectly in the life of Christ, don't we? Now, it's unlikely that any of us is, are going to be exalted to prime minister, and I'm kind of thankful of that. I don't want to be prime minister, and I suspect that none of you want to be prime minister either. But this principle is nevertheless true in each of our lives, and let, 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 me, you know, let me flesh that out. I mean, our role is to, humbly, to humble ourselves under the work of God, whatever that work 
uh, might be. Now, I know I, I remind myself of this truth very often, actually. Uh, what's my role here? It's to labor week in and week out uh, to bring a word uh, from God's word, to bring a word to you, to bring a word on Wednesday nights, to bring a word here, to pray that God will bless that work. Uh, Friday uh, evening, I preached a short message at the Clark Field. And I, I'm so thankful that God has answered so many of our prayers. I don't believe I could have preached anything at the Clark Field last year. And uh, this is the second time that I've been able to give a, a, a short gospel presentation at the Clark Field. And I attribute that all, uh, all to the grace of God. And, um, you know, as I was doing this, I mean, in terms of all outward appearances, uh, largely uh, most of the people that were were there, were paying attention to something else other than the message that I was delivering. So in terms of all outward appearances, uh, it might not look like it was very successful, but things aren't always what they appear to be. And I want to remind myself of that. And for that reason, I, am, I'm, I'm, I don't have an ounce of discouragement at all. I'm looking forward to going and doing it again. You know, we, some of you were present there. I'm thankful for your presence there. And you were tuned in. And there were a few visitors from a ministry that Tammy and I served at a few years ago. Uh, they were there. They were interested. There was one woman, I noticed, that she was, she was walking, kind of walking back and forth, almost like she was pacing. And then uh, the, the speakers that we had set up are, are directional in a sense. I mean, the further you get off of the perimeter of the speakers, the less you're going to hear them. But as you draw closer and closer to them, obviously you're going to hear them better. And I watched her walking in the pattern I would have expected the speakers to be at. About, up, as I was watching her, I was thinking, she's walking right around in front of the speakers. She's listening. And at one point, she finally stopped. She's clear out in the back by herself. She stopped and she just stared the rest of the time that I was speaking. And I thanked the Lord so much for that. I said, this woman's receiving this message. She appears to be receiving this message. But at the end of the day, much of God's work is invisible to us, isn't it? I don't know what the effects of that message ultimately are. I, I don't know that. Here's what I do know. I opened up Isaiah 6. I opened it up to my, to, to, to my measure of faith. I opened it up accurately. And I know that God's word never returns to him void. He accomplishes with his word what he desires to accomplish with his word. I shared a word on that, uh, on that field Friday night because God wanted a word shared on that field Friday night. And whatever God's going to accomplish has been accomplished. And really, I mean, I'm in the process of recording this message. And... Uh, uh, Donald will faithfully put this message up on a website that Donald puts a lot of labors into. Donald's, we're kind of in cahoots on this. What I'm about to say really applies to Donald too. Neither one of us really are probably going to know in this lifetime the, all of the fruit of this website. This message is going to get loaded up on the internet and it's going to get listened to. It could be listened to. It, this week, someone from the other side of the world could be listening to this message. We don't know who's going to listen to this message. Donald brings reports to our session meetings, and hundreds, these, these, these sermons have been accessed hundreds of times. Uh, we have every reason to believe that more people are listening to these sermons on the Internet than are hearing them right now 
in our assembly. In other words, we don't know what kind of fruit there is. A lot of God's work is invisible to us. But once in a while, I'll be somewhere, and someone will come up to me and say, man, I've been listening to your messages on the Internet. And I get to see a little bit, and I'm thankful for that encouragement. And I imagine Donald's receiving similar encouragements. Listen, all of this applies to you, too. If you're faithful in the workplace, as many of you are, you come and you tell me, hey, I've been talking to such and such, and uh, this is what I said, and we kind of had this, this middle Bible study going thing, you know, and I had all this stuff start happening. Listen, if you're faithful now, a lot of times it's not going to appear like your efforts are going anywhere. Uh, believe me, I know. It's not going to look like, uh, you're, sometimes it's going to look like your efforts in vain, but again, not everything's the way it appears, is it? I think one of the joys that we're all going to experience in heaven is God's going to show us how fruitful we were in this lifetime. I mean, think about that for a moment. Someone approach us and say, you know, I'm here because you were faithful and you shared the message to such and such and they shared it to such and such and I saw the, such a change in them that I, I just couldn't help but to bow my knees and, and call on the Lord. and I just wanted to say, you know, thanks. That's eternal fruit, isn't it? Isn't this wonderful? But it's by faith, it's not by sight. Amen? Well, I got one more point. It won't take long to develop it. Where have we been? It may appear that God is losing to all of the evil forces around us, but God is in complete control. He's accomplishing His purposes. And though we may undergo hard times, God will, he will exalt His people in the proper time, right? Well, the last point, and I won't take long developing it, is really kind of my favorite point in this message, is that Daniel here, if you look at verse 49 with me, uh, Daniel here illustrates the work of Christ and that as he is exalted, he leads his own in his procession. Look at verse 49. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Okay, Daniel is exalted from captive to captain. And what's the first thing he does as captain? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, I got these three friends. I think they would do a very fine job if they, were, uh, if they were promoted as well. And in a sense, Daniel is leading them in procession. You see what I'm saying here? And I think we can glean from this a little illustration of the work of Christ. As we think about the glorious resurrection and ascension of Jesus, when Jesus is raised... And, it's, and he ascends in session to the right hand of God the Father. The New Testament makes clear that he, and actually even in the Old Testament, Psalms like Psalm 68, we, we see that it's clear that Jesus leads his people in procession. You know what I mean by procession? You go down the road and you see a funeral and there's a head car and then all the other cars are behind it. Ephesians makes it really clear that if you're in Christ, you're seated with Christ in the heavenly places in this mysterious sense. Why? When Jesus is exalted, we think of uh, Philippians 2.9, above all names, He's exalted above all things. He doesn't forget His people. In fact, that's the point in His coming. If you're in Christ this morning, He brought you, He's taking you with Him. And that not, that's why it's my favorite point. Well, 
It may appear that God's losing to all the evil forces around us, but he's in complete control. And though we may undergo hard times of humiliation, God will exalt us in the proper time. And we see the work of Christ all over this, don't we? We see the work of Christ all over this. As Christ is exalted, and he was exalted. On that third day, he rose from the dead, and 40 days later ascended um, to heaven. And when he ascended, in a sense, in this mysterious sense, we all ascended with him. Let's praise our Lord and Savior. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for these verses. We thank you, Lord, for your word, which astonishes us every time we dive into it, Father. We thank you, O Lord, that you have loved us so much that you've shown us all of these things, these wonderful illustrations, these wonderful principles, O Father, that help us deal with hard times. As we look around and we think things are, are just coming apart at the wheels, and as we undergo hard times, we are comforted that you're in control, Father, and you're, you're accomplishing your good and, and wonderful purposes, your holy purposes, and that we may undergo hard times and will undergo hard times, but in the proper time, O oh, Father, when it is perfect, you will exalt your people. And in fact, we see that uh, we'll be, we are in one sense already exalted in Christ Jesus and seated in the heavenly places, O oh, Father. So, Father, in summary, Lord, we see that we are exalted by a sovereign God. So, Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.